All right. Well, we have been teaching through the book of Genesis, and this is going to take some time. This is part four of the series, and we're up to chapter six, and there's 50 chapters in Genesis. So this is going to take us some time to get through the book of Genesis, but it's so important that as followers of Jesus, we understand the book of Genesis because everything that we believe and everything that we follow, we can find the roots of it. We can find the foundation of it in Genesis. And it's important that everything else that we build in the Bible is built off of that foundation. So we don't look at Genesis as a collection of mythologies. We don't look at Genesis as a collection of allegories to tell a story. We believe that the entire Bible is the inspired truth, that the entire Bible is God's Word, and that the book of Genesis is an accurate history of the world and an accurate history of God's encounters with mankind. And it's important that we embrace that and understand what we can learn about God, what we learn about how to live with God and how to walk with God as we journey through our life. And so last week we left off with Cain and Abel, and we were looking at Cain and his choice. He had a crossroads moment. He had a a choice, an opportunity to take responsibility for his sin and to repent and to get right with God. And he chose not to. He chose to stay in his pride and to walk away. And because of that, the curse of God came upon him. And that not only affected him, but as you can see from this slide, it was a curse that he handed down from generation to generation. So we get to the seventh generation, a man named Lamech, who just magnified all of Cain's sin, his pride, his murder, all of those things. Now, On the other side of the slide, we see in Genesis chapter 5 the lineage of a godly line of people that began with Seth and was passed down, and we see number 7 is Enoch. Now, it doesn't stop there. Enoch walked so closely with God that he didn't die. God just took Enoch away to eternity. But thankfully, Enoch had children before God took him away, and so the godly line continued, and so if we were to number that down to 8, 9, and 10, we would eventually get to a man named Noah. Also in between there is this guy named Methuselah. He's known for being the oldest human that ever lived, so we make old jokes about Methuselah. You've got some of those, don't you, Barry? So we get to Noah in Genesis chapter 6, and that's what we want to begin to study today is we want to look at Noah, and we want to look at the experience of the flood and what we can learn and what God is teaching us. So first off, we've got to start with the flood, and we have got to start with the understanding that the flood was an actual historic event, that this is not mythology, this is not allegory, this actually happened. And the best place we can find that is from Jesus himself. If we go to Matthew 24, and starting in verse 36, this is Jesus talking. He says, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. So what is Jesus talking about here? He's talking about his second coming. 
He's saying, I'm here now, but there's a day when I'm going to come a second time. And in that day, I'm going to come in all of God's glory and all of God's power. And he says, only Father God knows when that day is. He's like, I don't even know when I'm coming back. The angels don't know. Nobody knows. He says, but you know what it's going to be like? It's going to be like the days of Noah, where up until the flood, everybody was just living life as usual, eating, drinking, getting married, all of those things. And then suddenly, like a shock, the flood came and caught everybody off guard. He says, that's how it's going to be when I come back. Everyone's going to be going about their business, and then I'm going to come like a surprise. Why is this significant? Because Jesus is talking about Noah and the flood like they're an actual historic events. And Jesus is God. He is truth. It is impossible for him to lie. So if Jesus believed that the flood was a historic event, then we as imperfect humans should be able to believe in the flood as a historic event. And I know some people will say, yeah, but if you study the cultures and the religions from back then, a lot of the cultures and religions had mythology about the great flood. How do you explain that? And my answer would be, because the flood happened. That's why. And at the Tower of Babel, when people were scattered all over the world and they were trying to make sense of it, they developed their own mythology and their own legends. But what sets the story of the flood apart in the, in the Bible is that the Bible is the only flood story that makes it about right and wrong. That the flood was actually the judgment of sin and it was God's destruction to come upon the earth. So we have got to be able to handle the flood as if it was a historic event. So let's dive into this. Genesis chapter 6, starting from verse 1. Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they choose. Then the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever because he also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. So this is the moment where God puts a cap on the length of human life. At the time that God says this, humans are still living like seven or 800 years, right? Um, Adam got to 950. Methuselah was like 969 or something like that. Humans were living a really long time. And God says it can't go on like this. Humans are just too sinful, and they're going to procreate too quickly, and the earth is just going to get too full of sinful man. So he puts a cap on it. He says 120 years is the longest that humans can live. And so from that moment, the lifespan began to shrink from 800 years to 600 to 500 to 400 until we get to Moses. And Moses died at 120. And from Moses until today, nobody has broken that cap. Nobody has lived past 120. So God set the cap. It took till Moses to work its way down to that cap. And then that cap has applied ever since. Verse 4, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now can we just say that verse 4 here in chapter 6 is one of the most difficult verses in the Bible to understand. 
Scholars have all sorts of different ideas and interpretations. Some of them are pretty good, but none of them seem perfect. And we don't have time today in a 30-minute message to even dive into it. This word Nephilim only appears twice in the entire Bible. It appears in Numbers when the 12 spies go to spy out the promised land, and they come back with a report, and they say the sons of Anak were there, the Nephilim, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. So we assume that Nephilim means giants, right, men that are like eight or nine feet tall. But Nephilim comes from the root word in Hebrew, which actually means to fall. So you could also interpret Nephilim to mean the fallen ones. Could mean giants, could mean fallen ones. And then there's all sorts of theories on who are the sons of God and the daughters of men and why were they the mighty men of old and all of this stuff. So if you want to nerd out with me sometime, you just call me. We'll go out to coffee and we'll talk about this for hours. But today we're going to move on because it's just too much to try to dive into. Verse 5, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animal to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. So the first thing we learn about Noah is this, is that Noah walked with God even in an evil, violent culture. Listen to the descriptions of mankind. The wickedness of man was great. Every intent of the thoughts of the heart was evil continually. Nothing but continuous evil coming from our hearts. We were corrupt in the sight of God, filled with violence, all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. This is not a very encouraging picture of mankind. This was a dark, evil time, and yet in the midst of it, Noah, all by himself, one man, walked with God. I know in today's time, we say, man, it's hard to live for God today. It's really difficult to walk with God today. But here's the thing. If we look around this room right now, there's like 50 people in this room right now, and we all get to walk with God together. Noah didn't have anybody to walk with him. He walked alone. And all of us in this room, we have the new covenant in the blood of Jesus that comes in and gives us a new nature that wants to please God. Noah didn't have that. And yet Noah walked with God. Every time, every season, every culture has sin and strongholds and difficulties that make it so hard to walk with God. Even here on Kauai, we've got our unique struggles, right? Like gossip. Whew, we're bad at gossip here on Kauai. 
That is a stronghold. An unhealthy communication like passive-aggressive or triangular communication, you guys know what that is? That's where, like, if I'm A, I never talk to C. I only talk to B, and I hope B talks to C for me, okay? We've got unique struggles. Here on Kauai, there is a very relaxed attitude towards sexual sin, right? It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I know sexual sin is bad, but, you know. Here on Kauai, we struggle with unforgiveness, There was a lot of bitterness and a lot of hurts that we don't let go of. So we have our struggles right here in our own culture. And yet, as you can see on the screen, the surrounding culture is no excuse for us to not walk with God. We cannot use the culture, well, this is how my family's always done it. Oh, this is how we do it here. This is just the way things are. No, Noah walked with God. In the darkest, most violent time in human history, Noah walked with God, and he didn't use it as an excuse. And we don't have to either. What do we learn about Noah? He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. He was a righteous man. What does righteous mean? That means you're right in the sight of God. That means you're living God's way. You're doing things God's way. He was righteous. It says he was blameless in his time. There was no accusation that could be brought against him. He walked with God. That implies relationship and intimacy, right? You go all the way back to Adam and Eve. They walked with God in the garden. And now here we have Noah not in the garden, in the exact opposite of the garden, in a dark, violent time, yet still walking in intimate relationship. Listen to Hebrews 11.7. It says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. How did Noah walk with God in such a dark time? By faith. Because he believed that God was greater than anything that was going on in the culture. And by faith, when God spoke to him, he built a big boat. And it says, in reverence, he built that big boat. Remember, we learned last week, it's not just what you do. It's not just what you give. It's the heart you do it with. Cain gave to God, but he gave with the wrong hearts. Noah built a big boat, and he built it with the right hearts. He built it in reverence to God. And then it says that Noah became an heir to the righteousness which is according to faith. What is that? That's the righteousness that we have in Jesus. When we believe in Jesus, he makes us right with God. Noah is an heir to the same promise we have, even though he lived thousands of years before Jesus. Why? Because he chose to walk with God. We can't blame our behavior or the way we walk on anything else. It's our choice in the midst of a dark culture that we would walk with God. Let's pick it back up. Verse 13. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. 
This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life. From under heaven, everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You notice, it didn't say that Noah's wife walked with God. It didn't say his sons walked with God. It didn't say his daughter-in-laws got to walk with God. Yet all of them got to get on the boat with him. Listen, when you make a decision to walk with God, that blessing affects your whole family. It affects your whole family. His whole family got to get on the boat because of the choices he made to walk with God. Eight people got to get on the boat. Verse 19 And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Listen to that again, verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. Noah practiced complete obedience to God. Complete obedience. He said of all that God commanded him, Noah did. It repeats it in chapter 7 and verse 5. Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. Not some of it, all of it. And God gave him very specific instructions. Exactly what type of wood to use. Exactly how to waterproof the boat. How long to make the boat. How wide to make the boat. How many rooms to put in the boat. The different levels. Make the window way up at the top of the boat. So when the boat gets really heavy and sits deep in the water, the water won't come in the window. Right? God knew exactly what he was doing. And if Noah had disobeyed even one of those commands, something would have gone terribly wrong. The boat would have been out of balance. It would have been too heavy. It wouldn't have held out the water. It wouldn't have floated. It wouldn't have been buoyant. If he had disobeyed any one of those commands, something would have gone horribly wrong. He only experienced the salvation of God. He only experienced the deliverance from the flood because he practiced complete obedience to God. Right? Bring two of every animal. And we're familiar with that command, right? We all sing the song, the animals came on two by two, hurrah. Okay, but in the next chapter, God gives even different commands. He says, of the clean animals, I actually want you to bring seven. Why? Because he needed some of those for sacrifices. And because when he got off the boat, he needed to start his own cattle farm. So he needed some of the clean animals that he could begin to raise with his family. Every instruction had a purpose. Every instruction had a reason. And when God speaks to you in your life, everything he says has a purpose. And when we choose to obey part of it, but not the other part, something usually goes wrong. Partial obedience is disobedience. 
Half-hearted obedience is disobedience. Noah practiced complete obedience to God. So then the flood comes. Noah gets on the boat. He gets to bring seven family members with him, all the animals. God draws them by his spirit to come onto the boat. They close the door, and the flood comes. And listen, when the flood came, it came violently. Now, it says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and that's significant because it had never rained before. Prior to the rain coming at the time of Noah, the Bible says the earth was watered by mist that came up from the ground. This was the first time it had ever rained, but even that rain for 40 days and 40 nights is not what started the flood. What started the flood is that the Bible says that God broke open the fountains of the deep. So what we have here is major geological movement as the ground breaks open and water begins to rush out all over the earth. So we're talking about plates moving and continents being covered. And as this water is rushing out, you can imagine the tsunamis that took place and the force and the power as water moved across dry land, destroying everything in its path. At the same time that's happening, it starts raining for the first time in the history of the earth and doesn't stop for 40 days, continuous rain. And in the midst of that violence and that movement of water, God preserves one boat and somehow through all of that delivers one boat out of it. The Bible says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. It says that the water kept rising for 150 days. And then finally the boat runs into Mount Ararat and stops right there. But they don't get out of the boat right away. They got to wait for the water to recede. And then even once the water recedes, the ground is too soft to walk on. So they got to stay in the boat until the ground. Ultimately, they're in the boat for one year and 10 days. One year and 10 days. How do we know that? Because it says the flood started on the 17th day of the second month. And then if we jump ahead to Genesis 8.14, it says in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. So this was a year and 10 days later. Then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Listen, Noah responded to his salvation with worship. It says that Noah got off the boat, and the first thing he did was build an altar. Now think about this. The boat did not end up where it started. 
right? The water moved it until it ran into the mountain, and they ended up on the mountain. So when they walk out of the boat, they're in a new place. They have no idea where they are. And not only that, but nothing looks the same because everything had been destroyed by the water. So Noah walks out of the boat, has no idea where he is. Nothing looks familiar. Everything is different. And what does he do? He worships God. And I believe God is challenging us to the same thing. We're going to be seasons of our life where God moves us, where nothing feels familiar, nothing feels comfortable. It's a struggle. Everything is different. And what does God want us to do in those seasons? He wants us to worship he wants us to honor him. So Noah gets out of the boat, and the first thing he does is he builds an altar. You would think that the first thing he built would be a house, that that would be kind of important. But no, more important than the house was for him to build a place where he could encounter God. And I tell you what, Kauai Bible Church, the most important thing we can build in our lives is the place where we encounter God. Yes, we have our homes and we have our jobs and we have our things to do. But if we do not make that place where we encounter God and worship him to be the most important thing that we build in our lives, then our lives will be out of balance and we will not be experiencing God's best. Noah got off the boat and he built an altar. And it's significant because this is the first mention of an altar in the Bible. Altars being places where we meet with God. Altars being places where we offer sacrifices to God. Listen to what Witness Lee writes. He says, an altar means that we do not keep anything for ourselves. An altar means that we realize that we are here on earth for God. An altar means that our life is for God, that God is our life, and that the meaning of our life is God. So we put everything on the altar. We are not here making a name for ourselves. We are putting everything on the altar for the sake of His name. Building an altar puts our life in the proper perspective that he is our life and he is our meaning and we're living for the glory of his name, not the glory of our name. That happens when we build an altar. And then what did he put on the altar? A burnt offering. And this is the first mention in the Bible of a burnt offering. What is a burnt offering? Well, it's exactly what it sounds like. You put the animal on the altar and then you burn it until there's nothing left. It's a complete consumption. Everything is consumed. And so when you put a burnt offering on the altar, you're saying, God, I'm giving you everything. You can have it all. And so in Romans 12, when Paul says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your acceptable service of worship. So what does our worship look like? We build an altar spiritually, figuratively, we build an altar, we create a place where we encounter God, and then we let God completely consume us. That's our acceptable service of worship. And how does God respond? It says it went up to God like a soothing aroma. When we worship God with everything we have, it goes up to Him like a soothing aroma. And He said He decided... Because of that worship, he decided, never again am I going to destroy the earth. What if Noah hadn't worshipped? Would God have decided differently? What if we don't worship? What different choices does God make over our lives 
if we were to choose not to worship. But because Noah worshiped, God decided, I am never going to destroy the earth again, and I am going to make covenant with Noah, and I am going to bring along with the rain, I am going to bring the rainbow as a sign of the covenant with Noah that I will never again destroy the earth. And so now whenever rain comes, when the rain ends and the sun comes out, we have the rainbow. And we love that here on Hawaii. Because here on Hawaii, the rain ends quickly, right? It rains for like 10 minutes, then we get a rainbow. I moved here from the northwest. In the northwest, when it starts raining, it doesn't stop for like eight months. And then maybe we get a rainbow if the sun comes out. Why is that so important? Because the first time it ever rained, it flooded and destroyed the earth. So could you imagine how freaked out Noah and his family were the second time it rained? And they thought, oh no, here it comes again? And God said, no, every time it rains, it's going to stop. And when it stops, you're going to see the rainbow. And the rainbow is going to remind you of the faithfulness of my promise to you. But it all started because Noah chose to worship. Let me invite the worship team to come back today. What is revealed to us in this story is God as Savior. We've already learned throughout these last few weeks of God as creator and God as lawgiver and God as judge and God as counselor, but now we see God as Savior. He saw a man walking with him and he says, I'm going to save that man from a sinful generation. And he commanded him to build a boat, and he put him in the boat, and he kept the boat safe through a violent flood because he said, I'm going to save that man and his family because they walked with God. Listen to how Peter says it in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Who a preacher of righteousness. So now we know Noah didn't just walk with God. Noah preached it. He shared God with anybody that would listen. Now, it doesn't seem like anybody listened to him, but at least he preached it. And I know nowadays we can be like, oh, well, people don't want to hear the gospel. Preach it anyway. We're not responsible for what people want to hear. We're responsible for what we're obedient to speak out of our mouths. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Even if nobody listened, he was going to keep preaching. It says, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, then look at verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgments. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly. He knows how to deliver us from temptation. If he could look at the world and he could say the world needs to be destroyed, but I'm going to save Noah and his family. 
And if he could look at Sodom and Gomorrah and say, Sodom and Gomorrah need to be destroyed, but I'm going to save Lot and his family, then even in this day and age, God could look down and say, the world needs to be judged. Oh, but I see these people living for me. And I am going to rescue them from the judgment. They are not going to face the judgment. God knows how to rescue us. And he knows how to deliver us from temptation. When you're facing temptation, you don't have to give in. But you do have to call upon God. Because he's the one that knows how to rescue you out of it. God will take you and put you on the boats. He will deliver you in this time so that we can spend eternity with him. But here's the thing. I don't want to be selfish about my seat on the boat. I don't want to just sit and hold my seat and say, dibs on my seat. I'm not giving up because, you know, if you move your feet, you lose your seat. And I don't want to. No, I'm not going to be selfish about my seat on the boat. I want the boat to be as full as possible. When the final judgment from God comes, I want as many people to be on the boat as possible. And so that means I'm going to walk with God and I'm going to be a preacher of righteousness and I'm going to tell people God loves you and judgment is coming. Get on the boats. Get on the boats. Could you imagine the mockery that Noah faced building a boat on dry ground in a place where there was no water on an earth where it had never rained before? And Noah would say to people, you should get on the boat with me. And the people are like, you're nuts, dude. You are nuts. People probably think we're nuts today. Because in this generation, we're going to live passionately for God. And we want to see as many people get on the boat with us as possible. Will you stand with me today? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for us today as your word has gone forth. Oh, let it be a great challenge to our hearts, Lord. Call us as worshipers. Lord, as you have delivered us, God, you've delivered us from our own sin. God, you've delivered us from great hardship and difficulty in life. You've delivered us from attacks that we don't even know were coming. We never even knew the enemy was coming against us, and yet you delivered us, God. So, Lord, call us to worship. Let a passionate worship arise out of us. And let us be a people that would walk intimately with you. Let us be a people that would build an altar before we build anything else in this life. Oh, that every day the place of encounter with you would be the most important place in our life. Not the place we sit at work. Not the couch we sit on in front of the TV. Not the house we build, but the place where we encounter you. God, let that be the most important place in our lives every day. And because of that, God, you would deliver us. But not only that, you would empower us to bring as many people on the boat as possible. Oh, that when the day of judgment comes, oh, we would celebrate. We would celebrate all the people that we were able to bring on the boats. Lord, help us to walk with you in a dark time. Lord, no excuses. No excuses. We choose to walk with you no matter what the world says, no matter what the world is doing. We choose to walk with you, God. Call us to a place of complete obedience that we can see your promise and deliverance fulfilled in our lives. Call us to that place. God, let us know you as our Savior. 
the one who came for us, the one who sent your son to die for us, the one who has a new life and a new nature that you want to birth in us, that we might walk with you in this time. Let us be humble before you, God, as we see you as our Savior. Keep bringing us through, Lord. Keep bringing us through, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just worship together today? Just as Noah did in his response thousands of years ago. Can we, as we consider God's salvation in our lives, all the ways he has loved us and delivered us, all the ways he has forgiven us, all the ways that he has brought us through, can we just respond today by worshiping together and lifting up his name?